We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by Prize Picks coming in late Saturday night. It's January 27th after the Wolves 113 to 112 loss in San Antonio tonight. Ooh, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, my plan for this episode, uh, regardless of what happened in, in the Spurs matchup, was to have a little bit of a different format for this episode, and that's because on Thursday, uh, I recorded with Alex Spears from the Athletics Oklahoma City Thunder podcast down to dunk uh, with the the plan that I would do a little 15-minute uh, segment off the top here by myself of uh, whatever happens in the Wolves-Spurs game. And then we'd get to Alex and I discussing this big Wolves and Thunder matchup uh, in advance of the yeah, Wolves and Thunder playing on Monday. Uh, obviously, this 15-minute uh, this segment on the Spurs game just got a little bit more interesting uh, with that being a loss. So uh, coming up are some Spurs-Wolves takeaways, and then Alex and I dig into the Wolves-Thunder uh, matchup, almost like as a playoff series preview. Uh, I, I really like you know doing episodes like this. We did that last year with you know some of the Denver guys before the playoff series, did it back with the Grizzlies back then. So it kind of has that vibe, even though I know it's uh, we're still here in, in the middle of the season. But because we recorded that uh, on Thursday, I obviously don't have the knowledge that the Wolves uh, would be arriving in Oklahoma City following a loss to the 10 and 36 San Antonio Spurs. But I still think it's a good conversation and uh, maybe a good way to start looking past uh, this Spurs game that I'm sure many of you want to forget. But let's do some takeaways uh, quickly from 113-112 uh, Spurs over Wolves. The first takeaway to me is is very obvious from this game, and it might sound uh, a little in the weeds if you didn't watch the game, but I think if you watch the game, you know it was the beginning of the second quarter and the beginning of the fourth quarter where the Wolves blew this game, uh, and that's because to start the second quarter, uh, Finch put Rudy Gobert, Kyle Anderson, Shake Milton, and Jordan McLaughlin on the floor with Cat, a lineup of four non-shooters, Gobert, Anderson, Milton and McLaughlin uh, that next to Cat and that group predictably could not get a bucket or buy a bucket. Uh, in the first four minutes of that second quarter, the Wolves only scored four points and they gave up 
11 before Finch called a timeout and, and changed the lineup. Then to start the fourth quarter, again, it was Gobert, Anderson, Shake Milton, and Jordan McLaughlin all together on the floor. This time it was with Nas Reed uh, instead of Cat. And for the first two and a half minutes of that fourth quarter, the Wolves only scored two points and gave up 10 before Finch had to call a timeout. So in total, it was only six and a half minutes, but it was six and a half minutes that Gobert, Anderson, Milton, and McLaughlin were all on the floor together. And in those six and a half minutes, the Wolves were outscored 21 to six. They lose those six and a half minutes by 15 points in a game that was ultimately decided by one point. So it's... It's where my mind uh, was was going uh, when this when this game was happening, and as the the lead started to to disappear at the end, it was the particularly in the fourth quarter. There was it was the turning point that I th- thought kind of fueled the Spurs uh, in in the fourth quarter to give themselves that uh, that belief that they were they were still in this game. Uh, ironically, on on Friday's podcast with Kyle, we talked about how the Wolves had seemed to have found a second unit. Finch had moved around the rotation. So the Wolves' second unit for the last few weeks had become Towns, Reed, Anderson, Alexander Walker, and McLaughlin. It was an adjustment in that Towns was now playing with that group when previously it was Gobert. And it was a logical maneuver uh, for the sake of spacing with that second unit. Um, Before it was Gobert, Anderson, and McLaughlin, right? Three non-shooters all playing there. Put Towns in. Uh, you make that an only a two non-shooter lineup, and it you know it it helps your spacing. Now they couldn't do that lineup that they've been going to with the second unit tonight because Mike Conley didn't play. He had hamstring soreness, so he sat this one out. And Conley being out puts Alexander Walker into the starting lineup, which means Alexander Walker is not in the second unit. And then who takes Alexander Walker's spot? in the second unit becomes the question, right? And this is where I think Finch ultimately ended up making a mistake. He chose to play Shake Milton there in Alexander Walker's second unit spot rather than Troy Brown Jr. And because it was Milton rather than Brown, the second unit, again, had four non-shooters out there. And again, with those four non-shooters, the Wolves only scored six points in six and a half minutes. They were all out there together. It, It really blew me away. Um, and it was, yeah, I guess just kind of disappointing because also I, I was thinking about how in Friday's episode with Kyle, I actually did a lot of defending Finch. We were, we were talking about just how bad the offense has been in fourth quarters. And there'd obviously been a lot of like Finch needs to call more play stuff. And I just, I couldn't put it all on Finch. Um, and, and I actually still can't, I think the fourth quarter offense, which was again, not great tonight. I think that is just inherently on both Finch and the players to appropriately structure and and execute. But these these lineup decisions, uh, you you can't put that on the players. That's a that's a coach's decision. Losing those minutes, twenty one to six tonight. I mean, that's that's on that's on Finch. There's not really any other way to put that. It's just interesting to me why, right? Like, why did did would Finch take this path and I was I was thinking about that and I it's I don't think Finch is a dumb coach so I asked myself what is his thought process there what makes him make what I think was not a a good coaching decision and what I think it is is just Finch having a greater belief in his roster to just quote unquote figure it out uh than I do now 
at the same time, there's absolutely power in, in belief in coaching. And I think if you just isolate this game to shake Milton, like Finch clearly put a lot of belief in Milton in this game tonight. And individually, uh, Milton had a pretty good game. He had seven points, two assists, made the one three he took, and the Wolves actually won uh, Shake's minutes by by four points overall. But it, it's kind of just the belief in that whole group and the belief in the idea that you can get away with playing four non-shooters or four shooters that aren't really respected out on the perimeter or confident to to take them. And I just think this Wolves offense is, is too fragile to empower it uh, with belief. They're 16th on offense uh, for the season, uh, just as a team overall. And they're that below average number in large part due to those spacing, spacing issues. I mean, Finch has said as much of himself when, when pointing to reasons why this team has been below average offensively. So I don't know, believing that lineup would be able to solve their own spacing issues tonight. It, uh, it, it proved to be naive and, and it played a large role in why the Wolves lost this game, I thought. All right, takeaway two. Uh, Anthony Edwards was not on the floor for any of those disaster lineups. He got back to being the ant that has largely kind of been come and go or MIA for a lot of the, the last few weeks. It was 32 points, six boards, and 12 assists for Ant in this one. He made six of his eight three-point attempts and was six for six from two-point range. He stacked a good first half with 17 points and six assists with an almost identically good second half. I thought he looked significantly more under control in pursuit of finding his spots on the offensive side of the floor. And going back and just uh, watching some of his clips, a lot of that was triggered by advantages created in two-man game with Rudy Gobert. If you watch his assists or his buckets, a lot of it was opened up uh, by Rudy, but a lot of the assists were too. Uh, Edwards had two assists, two of his 12 assists tonight. Uh, were to Rudy Gobert uh, in this game. They were both pick and rolls where he effectively hit Gobert on the roll in pick and roll. And I looked it up and those were actually Ant's 26th and 27th assist to Gobert on the season. You might remember that number 27. Talked about that before. Uh, last season, Edwards and Gobert shared the floor for 1,639 minutes over the course of 67 games that they both played in. And in those 67 games, Edwards only had 27 assists to go bear for the entirety of last season. Now with 26 and 27 tonight against the Spurs this season, Edwards has 27 assists to go bear in 1,106 minutes on the floor together over the course of just <clears throat> 42 games that they both played in together. So again, it took 67 games last season. For Edwards to feed Gobert 27 assists this season, 42 games to feed Gobert 27 assists, which means they're on pace for you know nearly double the ant to Gobert assists from a season ago. And we've been talking about this; we've been noticing that uh, there's a there's a better chemistry between Ant and Gobert, and it's leading to more and better offense uh, between the two of them in, in two man action, and that's a uh, yeah, that's been an encouraging sign for all the season. I just thought the 27 assist numbers lined up good, so I wanted to lay that out there. Uh, takeaway three, final takeaway. They just, the Wolves played down to their competition uh, in this game to the Spurs. Not only 
Uh, did they play down to the Spurs level? They kind of played the Spurs game. Uh, if you if you did watch the game, you saw that right away. Uh, the game was the type of chaos that the Wolves typically don't want to play in. Uh, the Spurs like that. The Spurs play in transition at the fourth highest frequency in the league, and the Wolves play in transition at the third lowest frequency in the league on the season. And in this game, the Wolves opted to play uh, the Spurs way. The Wolves like to obviously get easy transition points, but for the most part, they're a, you know, they're a half-court team uh, in offense, and they make up for what they lack in transition offensively uh, by getting to the free throw line a lot. Uh, in the half court, the Wolves get to the line at the sixth highest rate in the league, and the Spurs get to the free throw line at the second lowest rate in the league. Yet tonight, again, playing down to the competition, both teams shot exactly 15 free throws in this game, and weirdly, both teams missed seven free throws. So they both went eight of 15 from the line. Again, I think that's just an indication of more playing the Spurs game uh, than than playing the, the Wolves game. And yeah, this uh, this playing down to the competition thing was something that uh, largely defined this team last season. We remember their record against bottom five teams in the league last year, and that was something they seemed to really stomp out of their identity at the beginning of this season. That was a, a point of emphasis at training camp, um, something they all named and talked about from bench to the players. And again, at the beginning of the season, you know, kind of even up to whatever the turn of the new year uh they were they weren't they weren't letting it slip they they weren't playing down to the competition and and blowing these games against bad teams uh but it's it's coming back obviously the loss to the hornets on monday and then this uh loss to the spurs 5 days later you know taking bad teams seriously is something they need to start doing again and uh hopefully this this loss can kind of turn that light bulb back on. I'm not even not going to get into the, the fourth quarter offense here uh, in, in detail. We, we've done it multiple times uh, this week with the, the guests that we've had as the fourth quarter offense is, has clearly not slipped, and I'm sure we'll do it uh, again this week once I have Jason, Britt, and Chris, and Kyle back on. Uh, the, the fourth quarter offense in this game, in this season, has been it's been the Wolves' Achilles heels. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> It, 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 it needs to get better, and we, we've kind of discussed the, the main reasons why a lot of the, the same tonight. So we'll leave this one, the Spurs game, at that. Uh, it was a very disappointing loss in a very disappointing way that I thought spread um, warranted blame everywhere. But it's not the end of the world. Uh, I, I'm not sure what they can really do other than feel this loss, learn from it, and then turn the page uh, to Oklahoma City on Monday. And that's what we are going to do now on this podcast is is turn the page a little bit more uh, of an upbeat conversation coming up with Alex Spears from The Athletic talking all things Wolves Thunder. But first, we'll take a quick break here uh, to let you know that today's show is brought to you by Your Home Improvement Company. They're another local sponsor that's uh, supporting this show and uh, just a, a company that I want you to consider if this is something uh, that a home improvement project is something that you are uh, considering at your home this year. Uh, the Your Home Improvement Company has a buy two, get two free windows deal going on right now. Uh, zero interest, zero payment, zero money down until 2025 if you act on 
their windows deal. And if you want to contact your home improvement company, it's 952-243-3502, which is on the screen here, or yhic.com. Also, if you're looking for a bathroom remodel, they are offering 40% off entire bathroom projects this month. Uh, the bathrooms can be installed in one day or less. And again, zero interest, zero payments, zero money down until 2025. It's a worry-free installation backed by material and labor warranties. Uh, those offers do end soon, though. So 952-243-3502 or yhc.com for your home improvement company where it's your home made better. And then just quickly, uh, again, want to let those of you know who are Patreon subscriber, subscribers that we have two tickets to give away to the Wolves next home game, which is uh, this coming Wednesday, January 31st against the Dallas Mavericks. Um, we, we have tickets to give away to most of the home games this season, and we are giving them away to uh, Patreon subscribers uh, just as a sort of a, a thank you for, for supporting this show. Um, if you are a Patreon subscriber, uh, just send us a message that you are available to to go to that game, and we will select someone at random for that. If you want to become a Patreon subscriber, you want to uh, be eligible to to uh, get these tickets for the Mavs game on Wednesday. Um, you can you can become a Patreon subscriber at Patreon.com/slash Dane Moore MBA. That is uh, that link is in the show notes if you're listening on the podcast or on YouTube there too. Again, patreon.com slash Dane Moore MBA. All right, let's uh, move on to our conversation with Alex Spears of The Athletic uh, talking all things Wolves Thunder. All right, we are now joined by Alex Spears to talk some Wolves Thunder, uh, not just because these two teams uh, played each other last Saturday and not because they played each other again this coming Monday, but because these two teams, I think, both deserve they've elevated to the point where they they warrant an extended conversation about how they they match up with each other i'm pumped to do this i love these type of episodes uh, al is on the athletics nba show and where i listen to you most is on down to dunk the athletics oklahoma mm. city thunder podcast al how we doing we're doing great uh you know this is probably the first time that Thunder fans, it's been like three years since there was even a reason to have a conversation like this. Like, who cares about how yeah, we right. match up with any team for the last three years? And so it's nice to finally be talking about this kind of stuff. We're kind of I, ramping up for the playoffs, getting ready for it. I, w I clicked on your your Twitter this morning, which I guess to, to listeners, at Al Baby Cakes on, mm -hmm. uh, on Twitter. And your, uh, what is it, the header photo, right? Is What is that, the Thunder team from like, a yeah. few years ago. And and so I was literally like 10 minutes ago when I It was, that. yeah. There there is an interesting thing I think in a fan base or people who cover teams who have been really terrible that there is this like trauma bond to like some of the most <laughs> terrible teams, you know? And <laughs> yeah. so you know, I'm I'm seeing like Darius Baisley up there or whatever and I I remember those those Thunder's teams. I was I was I was into those teams. And I think about it here like with the Wolves and we ever like reference you know like the early wiggins years or something like that like yeah. people will just come flooding in and they'll be like oh yeah i loved so and so off the bench <laughs> and all that like there is a weird thing about that in the nba right where it's like when you are an all 82 game guy for your team and that team wins like 20 games there's a 
I don't know. There's just like a connection there that's different. Well, that that's why we're so insane about Mike Muscala because, <laughs> and and why like when the, the guy. Yeah, when the Pistons traded for him, I was like, hey, this is actually like a pretty big deal. <laughs> no, no, totally. I sound like a crazy person, but when he I've was in Oklahoma City, he legitimately helped Shea because it was at a time when he was the only spacing we had. Yep. And those lineups were kind of like the proof of concept of, hey, you put shooters around Shea, it's going to be awesome. Like every time he was on the court with him, and the same with like Lindy Waters, who was a two-way guy, he's still a yep. two-way guy. Every time you put those guys together, the net ratings were amazing. And so that was like the one little glimmer of hope we had during those seasons was like, okay, at least we like understand how this yeah. team should be constructed going right. forward. And now I think, you know, they're number one or whatever in three-point percentage. And it's like finally starting to make sense. To make sense. Mike Muscala was my neighbor this summer. Really? I, I Well, like, so he's a, he's from Minneapolis or yeah. he had to have been, I mean, he had to live in one of these buildings around me because I would just see him. I'm not getting like every <laughs> single day, just like walking and there's these like old building signs that are like in minneapolis in 1926 such and such and such uh -huh. happened you know they have those there yeah, yeah yeah and i saw mike muscala at multiple different ones on different days of those little like <laughs> monument things just standing there reading it and i'm like driving by in my car and i'm like there's there's mike muscala just on a walk and some flip-flops <laughs> reading about the history of uh of minneapolis i do remember him on the his numbers were crazy though uh, well, his, I mean, probably like the, the, the peak of Mike Muscala, which is actually the very beginning, was the fact that on the first day of free <laughs> this agency. This is great stuff. <laughs> Sam, <laughs> Sam Presti flew to Minneapolis to show up at his door yep. at the beginning of free agency. That was like what was exciting for Thunder fans back then is that like this is the guy we're going all in for. So, uh, yeah, we have a long and storied history. He also is the reason that Tyrese Maxey is on the Sixers uh, because true. he hit a game winner in the bubble. I remember so, that. Yeah, yeah, it it is, and and that's just overall like it's cool for Thunder fans. I mean, you guys have been relevant more <laughs> significantly more recently than the the Wolves have, but just it, it's fun to see teams, and I feel this way like honestly about the Sixers too, um, that have gone like all the way from the bottom to the top, and I, I find that process like really fun to track. I think you know this, like the Thunder have just been like a kind of side pet project that I probably over the past three, four years have followed um, as much as any other team in the NBA, just because I think it's fascinating uh, what what the Thunder are doing. And I think if you were watching, you kind of knew they were going to get to this point, maybe not this good, but to a point where they were going to be good mm -hmm. before they'd really cashed in on hardly any um, of those assets. So I, I find them a very interesting team. I think it's a team I'm decently uh, well-versed in. So I think that will make for uh, a, a fun conversation here. We were, we were talking about before we hit record about that. And I think everybody on this side too, listening would, would agree that the thunder are a difficult matchup for the wolves, um, a problematic matchup for the wolves. That doesn't mean the Thunder are way better than the Wolves. That doesn't mean that the Thunder right. would for sure beat the Wolves in, in a playoff series. And I, I think of that from the lens or sense of like the Wolves are a problematic matchup for the Denver Nuggets. Yeah. But if yeah. the but if the Wolves play the Nuggets, that doesn't mean the Wolves are better than the Nuggets. It doesn't mean the Wolves would for sure beat the Nuggets um in a playoff series. And I think that's because a matchup can be problematic for a team broadly, but there's still you know, other issues that you have to solve. And from the Wolves Nuggets point of it, that, that one's pretty easy, right? Like they have Jokic and they have Murray and they, 
in that matchup. I'm like, yeah, they match up cool with the Nuggets, but can they guard Jokic and Murray in in two-man games? So I'm curious from your perspective, as I know you think this is like the Wolves, would, and I would agree with this, that the, the Wolves are a better matchup for the Thunder than, say, like the Clippers or something. But what what does give you pause about maybe a Wolves-Thunder matchup or a way that the Wolves could hurt the Thunder? Well, I just want to start by saying, like, how crazy this journey has been because for Thunder yeah. fans going back to the play-in game, where they just got like completely outclassed by the Wolves, Pumped. yeah, and it and and the the conversation around Thunder fans that summer was like, what are we going to do about the Wolves? Like, we weren't even thinking <laughs> about the Nuggets because it's yeah. like, I mean, the Nuggets are going to beat us, so like, why why even worry about that? But at the time, we felt like, okay, we should have a shot against the Wolves, and yet, like, they just totally destroyed us. Yeah. Now, to be fair, like they didn't have Chet, they didn't have Kenrich Williams, who are, is basically their center rotation right now. Yeah. Um, so when that first game happened this year, which I, it was like a 106-103, I think it was a Wolves win, yep. um, something like that, uh, we were like, oh, wow, we can hang with these guys now. Like, <laughs> we, I wasn't even thinking like this is a good matchup for OKC. Right. So I still want to be like very hesitant about mm-hmm. feeling like this is a good yeah. matchup. But the obvious thing, and this was what was so apparent in that playing game was their size. And I think the size shows up in a few different ways. So mm-hmm. the obvious way is the rebounding. Three of OKC's 14 worst offensive rebounding games this season have been against the Wolves. Mm. So even in the games when OKC, even that in that game where OKC won big, they still were a terrible offensive rebounding team. And that's been true for most of the season. Like, I think I'm cleaning the glass right now. Are, are you talking about giving up offensive rebounds or the Thunder getting offensive rebounds? Uh, the Thunder getting offensive rebounds. Okay. So yeah. the ability to get second chances on Got offense it. just hasn't been there. And it's even more dramatic when they play a team like Minnesota. Um, I they, They've been a terrible rebounding team. Like, right now, they're th- third worst in offensive rebound percentage. So mm-hmm. getting their own misses. Yeah. And then they're second worst in defense, defensive yeah. rebounding percentage. That's why I was confused. So, I was like, they suck at that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're bad at both. <laughs> By the way, do you know, obviously the, the Wizards are the worst in both. They're, they're 30th in both. Yeah. But do you know who the second worst offensive rebounding team, so getting their own misses, is? This, this kind of blew my mind. It was not a team I would think. Is it Milwaukee? It's the Lakers. Lakers. Of all teams. Which is also a team. That I was trying to do this, like, something like that. I'm like, I know they're going to be big, and yeah, um, it's weird because yeah. I feel like I've seen Anthony. Da- I don't know. Yeah, I know it doesn't. It make must sense. be nobody gets anything on the Other. offensive glass than yeah. Anthony Davis. Yeah, but I think that is a really important thing because it does limit OKC's ability to get second chances. And as we'll talk about later, like the way they make up for that is yeah. by turning the ball o- or getting Minnesota to turn the ball over and get out in transition. And do really well there. If Minnesota could just cut down their turnovers a little bit, like just a little bit, I think that ability to stop them from getting second chances would really prove problematic for OKC. But for right now, it hasn't been like as big of an issue as it probably should be. Mm -hmm. Like Minnesota should be killing them on the board, just like dominating them in every matchup. And it should matter. Um, And it just hasn't felt that way totally yet, even though they have been better than them. Um, The other place where i think the size shows can, up can i throw one thing in there some, yeah can i throw one thing in yeah. there i i just think so the, the wolves are the wolves were trash in transition defense last year obviously yeah. you know like the the two bigs thing when it was rudy and cat on the floor like disaster that was that was the main thing to point to 
they have they're now like fourth lowest teams against them in transition frequency like they've really rectified that transition defense problem but now you're at the point where it's like so good and then the wolves aren't a great offensive rebounding team and you start asking yourself like should we be sending more guys to the offensive glass right you know yeah. maybe particularly yeah. against a team like the thunder who you would likely get more of those offensive rebounds against yeah but it's a double-edged sword right because thunder are fast and quick and they're going to get out in in transition against you i think it's a, a question against teams like the thunder but even just more broadly if you're the wolves of like yeah i understand transition defense was a priority this season I, we talked about it a million different times last year you've kind of got better at it your offense is bad you have a you have a big team that can offensive rebound should you be doing more of that? And I think that's a question <clears throat> that they need to answer. And if it was a Wolves Thunder playoff series, you got to, if you're Chris Finch, you, that might be a way to hurt or, you know, kind of like decapitate the Thunder. That's what it was in the, the playing game, right? Like, yeah, they, they killed them on the glass and that was about it. The Thunder didn't have any way kind of out from there, but sorry, continue. Well, and, and I think a team that kind of fit that model was the Grizzlies of the last couple of years who yep. like half court offense was terrible, but they were such a good offensive rebounding team. They were leading the league in like all these second chance point stats yep. and they were able to make it make sense for them. Um, the other way the size shows up is I do think they have like pretty good length for SGA and J-Dub, like having Ant, Naw, McDaniels, all those guys have six, nine or longer wingspans. Like I was just talking about the Lakers, like teams like, LA, they have zero options for SGA and J Dub. Right. Like they, they really have no one to throw on those guys. It's like Taurine Prince, Prince yeah. and then I don't know who else. They thought it so, was Cam Reddish, and then they're like, uh, it's right. not Cam Reddish. <laughs> so I do think that matters. And I think one way it shows up, and this is in addition to having Gobert at the rim, is that they've been pretty good at limiting OKC's rim attempts. Like in yeah. all three of those matchups, Minnesota held them below their average in terms of rim frequency. And I saw that Minnesota's defense is second in opponent rim frequency, like not allowing uh, rim attempts. And that's super important with a team like OKC, whose entire offense is predicated on this like driving kick, driving kick, just yeah. relentless driving kick. And when you have someone like SGA, who this blows my mind, but he is shooting 72% at the rim. If there's yeah. any way to limit those attempts, that's great. And, and they've been pretty good at that. And part of that is Gobert at the rim. And part of that is having like really good length because when SGA has struggled, it's usually been with someone who has a lot of length. Like the, the name that always pops up for Thunder fans is Herb Jones. Yeah. He always plays him really well, even though like Shea has had good matchups against him, but that length has bothered him somewhat. And so if you can just keep them in front of you as best as you can, I do think that is a, one way to slow them down. I mean, that that offense that OKC had in the last game, I mean, that was terrible. That was, yeah. that was their worst half-court offense of the season in that game. Um, so I, I do think like Minnesota defensively does cause a ton of matchups. And I think all of those issues are magnified when you move Gobert onto Giddy, yep. which, which is what they did in the last game. Um, they because, felt really good about that in the locker room. At, I mean, that was kind of, you know, yeah. like I asked Gobert about it and he was like, eh, I probably have that clip somewhere, but I'm not gonna be able to find that in a second. Um, he was like, no, this was the, this was the right shift to make. And they, they feel they feel good about that. And the other shift, too, was they put Ant on SGA to start the game, whereas mm -hmm. Jaden McDaniels had been guarded in the first two. 
uh, Jaden had been on Shea. And now Jaden eventually got gotten some foul trouble kind of in that game and whatever, as he complained about Shea's foul stuff afterwards. Uh, but I think the, the that's the best way for the Wolves right now to play defense is to put Gobert on the non-shooter. And, and I think that's the best way for any team to play against OKC. Like, if yeah. you're not putting your center on Giddy, like, you're you're losing out something. Because mm-hmm. Giddy had a stretch. He had 21 games this season in a row where he averaged 43% from three. But, like, most of the time that is not happening. Over his last 10, he's shooting, like, 25% or something. Like, so mm-hmm. it's, it's back down to that low. And it's not just that playing off of Giddy allows Gobert to stay at the rim, which is huge because he can help contest the rim attempts. He can limit them. It also takes away what makes Chet unique because if a center is on Chet, he's pulling them away from the rim with his shooting. Um, he's also been really good at attacking closeouts. Sorry if you hear my dog. Yeah, uh, right. <laughs> 16-year-old demented chihuahua. Um, it's terrible. <laughs> You're um, good about it. Um, but the other thing is, like, if you stick a big wing or forward on him, he can still sh- shoot over them, but he's not shifting the geometry of the court anymore it's not and it's not like he's strong enough to punish those players in the post like he's not that type of center but so i i think there's like this downstream effect of putting a center on giddy that just kind of disrupts their whole offense and it didn't like totally play out that way in the minnesota game because minnesota was turning the ball over so much so like that starting unit looked good but i think in the playoffs over a seven game series if you keep doing that with giddy like it is eventually going to pay off and mm-hmm. one thing that I think is fascinating is Mark has been way more willing this season to sit Giddy. And if you look at his 10 games where he's played his fewest minutes of the season, five of those games are against Denver and the Clippers, which are two teams that you, you would think like mm-hmm. we need to match up well against these yeah. teams in the playoffs because if it were going to do anything really big. And that just makes me feel like, okay, he might have a quicker trigger than I would think going into the yeah. playoffs. And would he have that type of trigger with uh, Giddy in a series against the Wolves because mm-hmm. that that's what like if he's not hitting his three I think it was 0-4 in that last game like if he's starting out like that does Mark just pull him and move to someone else like even if somebody but, but the someone ball, else is Isaiah Joe though or that that's what it, the, the someone else was in that game and and it often is Isaiah Joe right yeah it could be Isaiah Joe um they've often when someone is missing from the starting lineup they'll play Casey Wallace in that role yeah um so usually one of those two guys. It, it's it's interesting because the I remember that from the the last Thunder matchup where it was I was like okay I was like oh like Isaiah Joe's in here now like that's gonna rearrange the deep and I thought it was gonna be a really advantageous thing for the Thunder there but then that gave the Wolves a matchup to go at you know even just with with size and I, whether it was through switches like Ant took like three or four pretty easy shots uh, against Joe there. And, and then case and Wallace, I guess that, that does the other thing where you're like, okay, he could guard Ant or, you know, Conley or one of the other more scoring wings uh, for the wolves. But it's, I don't know. It's, it's, it, it make, it gets rid of the giddy issue, but maybe creates another issue too. But that, that's just how it works. Right. That's like when you're yeah. shuffling around, I mean, the Wolves are a good defensive team. Like you're gonna, you're gonna run into issues uh, against them. I think the biggest thing for the Thunder is not trying to overforce something to happen, right? Like Dort in the playoffs a, a few years ago, where it was like nine or ten threes. 
like, yes, Giddy has to take some of them, but he can't like he can't have a one for nine three point shooting game against the Wolves. Like the, the Wolves are going to win that game. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's so then you need to to make your uh, adjustments off of that. Today's show is brought to you by Doer. That's D-U-E-R. And why I like to wear Doer is because when I'm choosing what to wear, the key is to be comfortable. That's why I'm loving my Doer jeans. Doer denim is the perfect mix of comfort, style, and stretch. Historically, I haven't been much of a denim guy, but I like these Doer jeans because they aren't so stiff. I have the performance denim athletic straight style in the heritage rinse color. I've been wearing these to games. I brought them on the road trip I was just on because I figured... I can wear them to the game. I can wear them out to dinner. Doer also makes stretch performance denim and lifestyle apparel for both men and women. They're made from natural fibers for high stretch, breathability, moisture absorption, complete with temperature regulating antimicrobial properties to feel fresh, cool, and dry. From the performance denim to the no sweat jogger, I can find a pair that fits any occasion. Plus, Doer values sustainability and uses 85% plant-based materials for natural softness and comfort. Upgrade your wardrobe and order your own pair of Doer jeans today. Check out Doer's flagship stores in LA or Denver or shop online at shopdoer.com slash Dane Moore. Right now, my listeners can get 15% off site-wide when you use my special URL, shopdoer.com slash Dane Moore. All one word, my name. This is an awesome deal. Don't wait to get 15% off. Go now to shopdoer.com slash Dane Moore. Today's show is brought to you by the Game Time app. And Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. I went to a concert last week and the whole process of knowing where to go to get the tickets, it was stressful because the last time I went to a concert, it was a mess trying to get the tickets from the third-party website onto my phone. But with the Game Time app, I felt confident even last minute that I purchased my tickets at a fair rate, and that's because of their best price guarantee. And then with the app, it was easy to just use my phone and get into the concert I paid for, no confusion. So if you're looking for tickets to a Lynx game, a Twins game, or a concert this summer, check out the Game Time app. You'll get images of your seats when you buy, so you know what to expect when you arrive. You can buy tickets in a matter of seconds, two taps, and you're set, and tickets are sent directly to your phone. So no need to dig through your emails and click on a link here or there and just snag tickets without stress with the game time app, download the game time app, create an account and use code Dane Moore for $20 off your first purchase terms apply again, create an account and use the code Dane Moore, all one word for $20 off download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. 
That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I, I'm glad you, you have a lot of things there that actually, you know, I think are ways in which the wolves can hurt the thunder, because I think most people are looking at this, you know, as a as a matchup, which is probably more beneficial to the thunder than it is um, to the wolves. And I, I think it is, but I don't think the thunder are the most problematic team for the wolves. I mean, the things I wrote down is. The, the things that hurt the Wolves are teams that are fast but strong, uh, and, and the Thunder have that. Teams that spread the floor, the Thunder have that. Uh, teams that force turnovers, the Thunder really have that. They're number one in turnovers generated this season. But the one real thing that messes up the Wolves, that if the Thunder had this as well, I'd be like, they're going to beat the Wolves in a playoff series, is a scoring playmaking four that mm, yeah. that can really hurt cat and Nas. like the, the the in my opinion the single most problematic like matchup for the wolves is zion and and being able to guard him julius randall has really hurt them jerry jackson junior even when they played him uh, uh last week or something really hurt the wolves there too now the buddy thing is the thunder do have that they have J Dub, Jalen, uh, Jalen Williams, right? But Cat's not guarding them because they're just gonna. Yeah. No matter what, the Wolves are gonna put Cat on Dort in every alignment of a matchup, and and then if Dort is off the floor, you know it's often going to be someone else that Carl can guard. You know, Kenrich Williams or or something like that. They don't have a way yet that I've seen that really exposes that weakness that the Wolves have, which is, you know, making their centers that now play power forward guard really hard to guard uh, power forwards. But broadly, those other things are really important. I mean, fast and strong. They're going to run on the Wolves. Yeah, the Wolves have been better at transition defense, but, you know, the the Thunder can get out against them. Um, That fast and strong thing, they can double cat in the post. Like, they don't need to double them on the catch. Like, J-Dub or Kenrich Williams can kind of like hold them for a second and you can double, uh, you can double off the bounce there. And that's always been a problematic thing for Carl Garden with a small and bring a double. They can do that effectively. And then they can spread the floor, drive and kick game. That's a, you know, that's a, an issue for, for the wolves too. But I don't think it's like a strikeout, if that makes sense. Like they, they have, Oh, totally. In fact, what, they like, have issues, what, but. what happened in that last game? Most nights is going to work, which is Dort. You mentioned Dort. Like Dort was way too aggressive on offense. Like he reverted back to like a last couple of years of Dort. I, I wrote down his usage percentage year by year. It's been 21.7, 23.3, 19.8. And then this year, finally 15.3. Like he yeah. had finally kind of shrunk into the role he needs to be in. But you saw in that game 
Like he was very willing and very aggressive at going said, after towns for go. some reason. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and, like it, it worked out a couple times, but at the same time, like that final play when he got the foul on Cat, like he was out of control. And as he's driving, I'm like, Dort, please stop. What are you doing? <laughs> and you look at the three point shooting. Like if you just lump Gideon Dort together, because those are the two guys that teams want them to beat, mm-hmm. like or want want to beat us. Uh, they shot three of 11 from three. Like that's yeah. great for an opponent because they only took 24 threes. So it's basically like half the threes on that team were taken by these two really streaky shooters. I know that Dort has been a lot better this year. And part of that is because of that reduced role. But like, I think they have the recipe. Like most nights, Dort isn't probably going to shoot three of seven from three in the playoffs. Just the fact that he's shooting seven threes, I think is good for the Timberwolves. You must, I, re- I you must rather that. him doing that. So, mm-hmm. You know, yeah, they won that game, but I actually think their setup will win them those types of games more often than not. I think they were a little unlucky. And then, like, the turnover thing is just, like, absurd. Their turnover percentage in these three games, 21.1, 21.6, 19.6. Like, that's that's so That last much. one wasn't even the worst. That last game that when I they know. just did 21, it, I think it's 65 turnovers in the in the three games. Okay, and and I get insane. like hesitant about being too confident about that because like when when so, when it's something like shooting or something like size where it's like that's not changing. Like no one's yeah. going to suddenly grow on the thunder. Like the the Timberwolves are always going to be bigger. But when it's something like turnovers, like yeah, it feels good right now and it feels like this really interesting part of this matchup in the Thunder's favor. But, like, are they really going to be that bad? Are they really going to turn over 20% every possession, like, of all their possessions know. to the it's Thunder? It's been happening, though. And and it's uh, – I, I think it's a product of, as the season goes on, the Wolves get scouted more and more, right? And, I mean, the, the, the huge shift, and, you know, my listeners know this, is Kyle Anderson shot, like, 41% from three last year, and he is just, like, total yips stopped taking him he actually made one in that thunder game which was like whoa like (laughs) kyle anderson took and made um a three but the the just foundation of spacing that the wolves have is is terrible and has gotten worse over Mm. the course of the season as you know anderson was a corner shooter last year that's gone obviously gobert is not shooting not giving you any spacing help um they put jordan mclaughlin into the rotation who hasn't historically, you know, been a shooter in place of shake Milton who shot 38% from three last year or in place of Troy Brown, who is a, you know, in theory, a, a shooter too. So they're just playing like half their guys are questionable, if not zero shooters from three. And that just leads a team like Oklahoma city. They don't even need to like be blitzing ant and trapping him and pick and roll. They can just play solid and load up. I mean, they're just doing like boxes and elbows against the Wolves. And they're just like, okay, come in here. Like, eh, if, if you want to try and get downhill, maybe you will be able to get back past Dort or anything, which he struggled with in the last game. But like, we're going to have like two or three more guys here. And you're probably not going to really be able to run pick and roll and find Rudy on the lob because we're going to have a tag guy in there every single time to do that. It's it, it's not an isolated incident to the Thunder. This is happening almost nightly where the where the Wolves are really struggling to to not turn the ball over because Cat and Ant want to get downhill through the middle of the lane where Rudy is, and they just don't have shooters to, to spray yeah. it out to. So 
I mean, as we're now starting to talk about trade deadline stuff, that that's my number one need on this team is a, is a movement shooter that can kind of hunt the open space mm-hmm. and move while Ant or Cat are attacking downhill. And then if a team like the Thunder is playing boxes and elbows, like you get that guy five, six threes off of, you know, kickouts. I think that maybe changes the the dynamic of it. But if they don't, if they aren't able to find that, like, which nothing's going to change by Monday uh, when these two teams play. The Thunder should absolutely load up on that again, and that will probably lead to 15 to 18 or more turnovers again. The Wolves have not been able – they haven't – I mean, dude, it's, it's been in every – it's been in every night. I mean, this team's below average offensively, and it's because yeah. of yeah. – it's, be, it's because of the, the, the turnovers that, that they do have. How that's do you kind of like yeah, – go ahead. I was going to say real quick, that that was like the big dip. This is why I'm so much more scared of the Clippers because like their three-point shooting is such that like you can't really have bad nights from Gideon Dort. Like we just saw the Thunder win a game where like Giddy was terrible against the Timberwolves. If he has that game against the Clippers, like they're dead because they're, it's not just that they're a really good three-point shooting team. It's that all of those, all that volume is concentrated in the players who are going to be on the court the most. You know, it's like, it's PG, Harden, Kawhi, and Norm Powell. Those guys are shooting insane percentages. I mean, Norm Powell's like at 45% or something. Yeah. And so they just can't survive against that team with Dort or Giddy having bad series. Whereas in a series with Minnesota, like it would be so much uglier. Uh, but mm-hmm. like they would have a chance to survive some of those games if their threes aren't falling. The other thing I have down here is how good the Thunder have been in the clutch. And yeah. We, me and Britt, when we were, were talking about this game the day afterwards, I was, I was kind of just like going through it and being like, okay, like SGA versus Ant, like SGA over Ant, like Chet and Cat, that's that's close or whatever. And then you go, all right, like if you look at Conley and Gobert versus Dort, Dort and Giddy, like that's a pretty major win for the Wolves. Yeah. But Jalen Williams is, J-Dub is a significant upgrade over Jaden McDaniels you know he wins that by a lot and I think a big part of that from having watched obviously the Wolves a ton and the Thunder a lot is how effective J-Dub is in clutch time and they actually like go through him often it's not just Shea right that is like okay clear out like it's J-Dub as as much as anybody else and Jaden you know he remains kind of that tertiary fourth fifth uh, piece out there and and that's I think that's a, the broader issue that the wolves have of it is it's like okay in in crunch time if it's not Mike Conley like slowly getting them into a set what is the thing that they what is another thing that they can go to and you would say ant but in the last four or five minutes that everybody's gonna blitz that and trap that and you're gonna take that away much like teams are going to do and sometimes do effectively against Shea but yeah. what is that other thing that the Wolves can go to um, in that time to be, you know, to be advantageous? And I think that's the I think that's a big reason why I just you just look at these clutch numbers and you're like, yeah, the, the, the Thunder are really good because you can shut off one or two things and they still are going to have other answers with the Wolves. I don't know. The Wolves just struggle to even want to go to the second or third option. They just want to go to Ant or they want to go to Cat. Mm-hmm. And it's in it's in very predictable, obvious ways that defenses are loading up against, which leads to the turnovers, which leads to ultimately yeah. 
ineffective, you know, offense in particular uh, in those times. So I think that's another like just global uh, sort of yeah. leg up with the Thunder half. And to be honest, like that was OKC second half of last year and even beginning of this year. Like this J-Dub thing has really just been like within the last month and a half to two months. Because at the beginning of the season, like Giddy was still taking more shots. He, he still had a higher usage than J-Dub. Last season, like that second half post All-Star break for J-Dub was crazy. Like he was super efficient and we were just screaming for him to get more usage. Mm-hmm. But it just hadn't settled. Like the hierarchy of this team hadn't settled yet. And so Giddy was still the number two option. Yeah. And he's he wasn't really someone you wanted to go to at the end of the game. Although he did play really well in the Pelicans playing game. And it's just been within this last month where J-Dub has finally been willing to like take that mantle mm-hmm. as like, no, I'm the second best player on this team and I'm willing to take these shots. I mean, that the game against Portland, which Portland should have won, they kind of got robbed. No. But like that final play, they called it for J-Dub to take that final shot over Shea, which is, I don't know if that's the first time that's happened. It has to be the first time. Well, I don't know if it's been called, but I mean, and you're watching obviously, but like it gets to J-Dub in clutch time often. I don't know no, if that's it, second yeah, side it, or whatever, but like there, there's a lot of Jalen Williams usage late in games, at least from what I've there, seen. I don't know what the usage no, there, rates there, are. There, but. Def- there definitely is. And it's been it started out as like Mark finally started going to him at the beginning of the second and the beginning of the fourth and being like, hey, this is dub time. Mm. You're going to be in control of these these r- rotations like, like th- this lineup. And he was so amazing. And a lot of times he's pairing him with Chet, with uh, Vasily Michits. Um, which I think works really well to have another ball handler out there. Um, but yeah, as that's gone on, now that's like bleeding over into clutch time where it's like, okay, now Shea comes back in, but like they can play off of each other so much better than they could last year where J-Dub was just always deferring. And he and I, I think there was a part of it where like J-Dub was a rookie last year and just didn't want to come in to a team that kind of had like a young core that was establishing itself. I mean, Giddy was in his second year. Um, and he didn't really want to be that guy yet. Mm-hmm. And it seems like he wants that now, um, which has just changed like the com- like it changed the ceiling of this team. Totally. Because, yes, it's great to have an MVP caliber player like Shea. But like you said, even when you have someone that good, like like the Wolves do with Ant, like there's a lot of things teams can do to kind yeah. of sell out. And so to have that kind of I don't even want to call him like a, a like a. I don't even know what I'm trying to say. Like the a release valve. He, yeah. He's more than a release valve. Mm-hmm. But having like a true number two on this team offensively at the end of the games, yeah, it's been it's been massive. It's been massive. And it's something that I honestly was not expecting to happen yeah. this season. We yeah, thought he like, would just continue what he did at the end of last season and that would be good enough. Yeah, if like the end of last season, if if at the end of last season he was a release valve, that release valve has turned into a Robin to chase. Yeah. Batman. You know, like yeah. it, it, it's, yeah. it's evolved and grown as you would expect a 21 year old to become uh, more and more. The last time the wolves will play the, the thunder in the regular season is on Monday. Obviously that's before the trade deadline. And if the next time they were to match up, it would be uh, in, in the playoffs. How do you think this thunder team will look different than in terms of, how it could evolve through the trade deadline. Uh, it's so tough because uh, th- there's like a segment of the Thunder fan base. It's like, hey, we got all these picks. I don't, I don't care what the price is. Like, just go get, you know, whoever it is. Markin in, Mikhail Bridges, like whatever. <laughs> just pay him whatever you need to do yeah. to get him in here. 
And there is a part like the slot brain part of me would love that. That'd be, that'd be so much fun. But realistically, the thing I want is, and this kind of goes back to something that I think Minnesota does have an advantage, which is that they're good at getting to the line. They're yeah. six in free throw rate. And I do think that could become an issue in the playoffs with our big man depth. Like if you can get Chet into early fouls and now it's like, okay, we or want Dort, to bring Dort too. If you can yeah. get Dort in foul trouble against Ant, like that's a, yeah, that's now true, you're getting yeah. to now you're getting to chat more. Ant's getting to chat more, which is going to increase the likelihood that Chet gets in foul trouble. And yeah. then you, yeah, yeah. Anyways, continue. But with, with the big men, like their natural like inclination would be to bring in Kenrich. They love playing Kenrich as the small ball five. Those lineups have been really good. I don't know if they're as willing to do that against the Timberwolves, which mean now they're going to the other Jalen Williams, who. You know, he's shown flashes, but at the same time, like if, if I'm seeing big J Will minutes in the playoffs, it's probably not going to be good for the Thunder. So that position, like that backup big position, break in case, you know, in case of emergency, that's kind of what I want. The problem is that the Thunder aren't just going to go out and get someone like a Clint Capella. I don't think like they are only going to get a big who fits into their system which means the main thing is being able to make quick decisions, being a pretty good passer. And that's why Thunder fans are just like obsessed with Kelly Olynyk right now because he does kind of check all the boxes that they really would be looking for and that he does have a little size. It's not like he's some amazing defender, but like he's big and he can shoot and he can pass. Right. And so that's why we look at him as like, oh, this would be the perfect like small to medium-sized move where he'd probably come in and play like 15 minutes a night, but he could really help us in some of these series where if Chet does get into foul trouble, it could be like a major issue for this team. Yeah. Yeah, it, it does seem, and from listening to you guys, or just like in general kind of knowing or being able to glean how Presti works, it isn't going to be, you know, the marking. And I've always thought like getting Sabonis back there would maybe be a awesome, <laughs> you know, an awesome. But obviously that's like, not, that's not a realistic uh, one there. So it is, it is more the medium the medium move. And I, I think, I think Olenek would help them. I don't know if it would help them in this matchup that much. And mm. I don't know how much it would help them against Denver or, you know, or, you know, it wouldn't be none, but it would, I think it would be more nominal. The better the opponent is how much yeah. a, a Kelly Olenek or just like any sort of, <clears throat> excuse me, middling move would do. And, and I think that's ultimately like, the crux of the question for the Thunder is, you know, do we do we make a middling move that will pretty much help just for the regular season versus going for something more that could have a impact in like the second round? And that's a, that's just a whole different level of player, and it, um, you know, it's it, it's it's harder to to say that's for, for sure you want to do. And the bigger the player is, right? the more bandwidth and usage they get. And now does yeah. that, does that, uh, does that turn J-Dub back into a release valve rather than a Robin when, you know what right. I'm saying? And that's kind of what's, so I, I mean, I have certainly like a year ago been the guy of like, man, just like next young 25 year old that's out there, like Presty, like whip out the wad of cash and just be like, yeah. what is it? Yeah. You know, what does it cost? I was very much in that, in that boat, but I, I get, I get the patience that's necessary um, that they, I get why they feel that the patience is, is necessary for them. I'm fascinated to, I mean, do, do like, do you think this is going to be a dynasty just given the fact of what they have so 
so young and how much they have in there. Like it's hard to predict like that. And that's such a high bar, but to be 31 and 13 with the most assets ever that just on paper with an MVP candidate sounds like a team that is just ready to run the table here for a while. Right. Yeah. I mean, we're obviously right now, like all comparing it to, you know, the early, you know, 2010s thunder um, because that was what we all grew up on. And the things you can say in favor of this team, you know, I don't, I don't feel confident saying like the top end talent is quite at that level. I mean, we're talking about three MVPs with KD, Russ and Harden, but they do fit together way better than those three did. I mean, they, they were bringing James Harden off the bench, which we don't have to do that here. Like right. we can play our three guys in a starting lineup. Yeah. The, the personality the personalities together seem to work a little bit better than those three did. Um, so I, I, it's very hard for me to be optimistic because I just remember living through those years and like the disappointment at the end. But like you said, the, the the biggest difference is the assets because Mm -hmm. the hardest thing for the thunder during that first wave was that they could not get free agents to come. Even, even having guys like Katie and Russ, like they tried so hard to get Pau Gasol the year he went to the Chicago bulls. And he ended up saying that he didn't come because it wasn't a, as culture of a city. They didn't have the opera. These are like, he gave some yeah. quote like that. Like, it just killed us because it was like, dude, you can play with Katie and Russ. Like, we <laughs> want to change. I, I did. And the other thing. It, it, it's, oh, I was going to say. Go ahead. Okay. I, I was just no, going to say like yeah. that the, 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 and this is a whole like separate podcast and tangent, but like the salary cap environment is different now that oh, like, it was brutal back then and and like teams and players like there is a factual trend that it is just going to players are going to where the market gives that to them and particularly with the mid-level exception right like yeah if the thunder have the mid-level exception and all things are equal and the players looking at a 13 million dollar a year mid-level exception from whatever team versus another like that's just what you're going to get no matter where you're going to get it and i think back then it was i i I don't know like there was there was more of it mattered like the money differences were more nominal and uh it's just it's shaping out to be a more pure market i think and and how the the salary cap has evolved in you know 15 years since since those teams and especially when you have some of these second apron teams who are just going to be like out of the running for some of these players because yeah, they can't I know I know leave. one of those teams. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but the other big thing I was going to mention is like the asset base is huge because that first run all they had were their own picks. They they were not pick positive. And so by the time and and as a result they didn't really want to trade future first. They didn't know if KD was going to come back. I mean, KD yeah. and Russ could have left. And so they, they were very hesitant to trade their picks. And as a result, they waited way too long. And when they finally did make a move, it was for Ennis Cantor and Dion Waiters. Yeah. And it's like, okay, we just blew like all the future picks we really can use right now. And these are the guys we got. Whereas now, like you could make a dumb trade. You can make multiple dumb trades like that. And it really wouldn't matter. Like you wouldn't yeah. even have to touch your own picks. So that makes me more hopeful that they can replenish this thing. Um, eventually though, like, the expectations are going to get huge like they get for any team. 
we're going to start seeing more personality come out. Like it all, it all felt great at the beginning of the Katie mm-hmm. Russ Harden Jeff Green era. Like they were filming YouTube videos together, singing together. Everything was great. But like yeah. eventually, money comes into the picture, and so I don't want to be too naive mm-hmm. to believe that like this th- this core with with Chet and Shay and uh, J Dub is definitely going to be the same players mm-hmm. who are here in six years. I would love it to be, yeah. but it's the NBA and and who knows what could happen. But right now, yes, it does feel, it feels good right now. Al, this was awesome. I, I love, I love this, this type of uh, conversation. It feels like a, a playoff conversation in the, like the, the chess match of it yeah. all, which I think would be super fun if we get that Dagnall, you know, versus, versus Finch when it uh, eventually comes the one thing I will say about all this, and we've done a lot of like lining this up of how, and and we both think that this is true. I, I do too, from the, the Wolves perspective of like, I think the Thunder present problems for the Wolves, a lot of them. I do not think internally in that Wolves locker room, they feel that way. I, you know, it wasn't, I won't say the player's name because it wasn't like when we had the, the microphones on, but I, mm-hmm. after that, um, that last loss to them, I, I went up to a player and I was like, you know, this is the only team that's like beat twice. You know, what like what is it about them that you're seeing makes you guys more susceptible than others? And what the player said was like, that wasn't them, man. That was us. Like the two times we lost to them, we we beat, you know, we beat ourselves. And I know like some of that is like the cliche you would right expect from a player, but but I, I do believe that is real. And we have like a statistical anecdote to go to it. They turned it over 65 times against this team. They turned it over 21 <laughs> right. times to that. Like it, if they don't turn the ball over 21 times in that game, they turn it over 11. And you know, that allows the thunder to not make that comeback in the fourth quarter. And the wolves win that game by 19. You know, how many of these bullet points that I have written out here? Like, are we, are we saying the same shit? You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, it's not uh I, I think there's a world in which I myself and, and you are overrating some of the ad advantages that the Thunder have simply because the Wolves right now are playing immaturely, you know, and have played immaturely. Yeah. And I mean, one of the most immature things is to not be able to think the game well enough to not turn it over. Right. And it's a young team and that's OK. And yes, that's a that's a problem with the, the Wolves now. But. Like we said, that like play the they play the Thunder again on Monday, and they won't play him again until the playoffs. If they do, that's a long time for the Wolves to get their stuff together up here, you know, mentally and mm-hmm. and learning how to think through the ways in which teams are attacking them that are exposing them, because the Wolves should be able to punish this team significantly more than than they do right now. So I, I'm with that to some degree. I think I think it's all true, right? Like. It's a tough matchup uh, for the Wolves, but it's it's a matchup that they make have made harder uh, on themselves, particularly in these these last two games that they lost. I'm pumped. Uh, I'm pumped to watch this game on Monday night. Yeah, and, and like you said, like, or, or actually, as I mentioned earlier, like I do think defensively they have the recipe, like especially against the starters, like they have the recipe. To where right now I feel like we're talking a lot about like what adjustments could the Wolves make in response. I would not be shocked if after that next game we're talking more about like okay what re- what adjustments do the Thunder need to make, need to make next yeah. time they face mm-hmm. the Wolves because 
if they get a bad dork game combined with a bad giddy game, like yeah, it'll it's look over. totally different. Yeah. It'll look completely different. And Mark will probably have to pull at least one of those guys. And now we're just talking about totally different matchups. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that it is kind of like teetering right now where it feels yeah. like this matchup seems like it's favoring the thunder, but it could easily flip this next game because the, the defense that Minnesota, the, the problems that Minnesota's defense brings to the thunder are in some ways unique and in some ways things that every team should be doing against the Thunder. (laughs) Um, And I think as more teams do that, um, it'll be good for the Thunder because they need to face it. Um, Mm -hmm. But also we could see another drop off like we saw when, I mean, this was like two months ago now, but Houston was the first team that put their center onto Giddy and it like completely threw off the team. Yeah, And it feels like they kind of figured it out, but I could, I just am waiting for it to happen in the playoffs because I just think it'll be a different beast. And I'm still so worried about that specific matchup. Well, and the best center in the NBA to do that with is Rudy Gobert. Like True. You're, you're talking about Shengun on, yeah. you know, yeah. like that's, yeah. those, those are very <laughs> different things there in terms of like, there's a lot more value in Rudy lurking in the lane off of Giddy than there is Shengun. And if, if Shengun is doing that and that's somewhat problematic, then, you know, the, and it, and it was the, you know, the, actually, I, I want to ask you one more thing yeah, because one thing I did, I'm just, notice, I'm just wrapping it. Cause I know, I thought you had, you had, you had time. Uh, here, but it's, it's, it's fine. Okay. Uh, okay. One, one thing I did want to ask was yes, they put Gobert on Giddy, but I did notice like there were several plays where Gobert went all the way out to the three point line to guard Giddy, which I thought was really strange. And I don't know if that was just because that was the first time they no, were doing this. that this year. He's into that. Like it's his, it's like his, and 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 largely, you know, outside of this matchup, like Gobert's been awesome, like defending yeah. in space and pressing up. And he does that. I know what you're referencing with like Giddy. He, he does this thing this year where, and it's typically like a four or five that he's on, right? And like he starts with his weird Gobert thing where he's like, okay, I could be like five feet off of you, but if I put my hand out here, <laughs> right? You yeah. know, I'm still kind of contesting your shot. Um, but now he like loves this thing is like as soon as like the dribbles picked up or like about to be picked up, Rudy wants to like jump on that and create uh, like a one man trap. He's, yeah. and, and, and it's honestly like it's it's worked a lot and particularly yeah. it's worked against, you know, non shooting fives like if he's on like Valanciunas. Right. And okay. and Valanciunas is, is on the perimeter and. And, you know, he's, okay, I'm not, Valanciunas is like, Gobert's going to block this if I take this shot. I'm looking for a pass. And as soon as he starts, like, getting a little, like, flustered into, I don't know where it's going to go, it, like, clicks this thing in Rudy to be, like, attack, you know, and huh, okay. and, and swarm it. And he did, was doing the same thing against Giddy. And it's, I think Rudy needs to delineate between the fact that Jonas Valanciunas and Giddy might have similar three-point percentages but they are very different players in every single way uh, outside of that. It's super critical. I'm with you 100% that Rudy needs to be playing lurking as much as possible because that's what's going to slow down Shea. I mean, that's what the right. first half I was rewatched the first half of that game this morning and he made it tough on Shea, just like another body. If you got Ant or Jaden on Shea, right, as the primary mm-hmm. matchup with Rudy kind of lurking over there. Like he's going to get you a contest on even those kind of short mid range shot things that Shea has a million different ways to get to. Like Rudy, there is 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 tough. You know that 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 is going to be tough. But Rudy needs to care about that 
as much as he, but more than he cares about kind of uh, attacking the perimeter when he's just on this sort of thing to prove everyone wrong. Like I can guard <laughs> out in space, you know, and he can, and he, he's so oh, he, he, can, it, yeah. he can definitely guard Giddy at, in space. Like yeah. I'm, I believe him, but, but it's, I, it's the picking the ball up sort of thing. And just when Giddy's just right, like yeah. out there looking to swing it, Rudy doesn't need to be, he doesn't need to be up to touch. Right. Like right, you can right, still right. have, have some space that I, I, I noticed that I noticed that, that too, uh, in that game, we miss anything. Uh, no, I think that's it. I think that's it. All right, man. Uh, Monday, uh, Wolves Thunder. We will uh, watch it. Where, where can uh, if people want to get uh, more of you and uh, Alex's with Andrew Schlecht uh, on Down to Dunk, who uh, Andrew's been on here? And man, look at look at Andrew on the come up, like on low post and stuff all the time, Crazy. man. Look at the big time. Yeah, yeah. me and uh, Andrew, uh, we went to kindergarten together. No, uh, so we've been friends for our entire life and uh you can listen to us on wednesdays down to dunk and then on fridays uh we do the athletic nba show slam and jam nope. and we uh spin a wheel each week and pick a team and this week it was the charlotte hornets which <laughs> meant that we got to see <laughs> little, there you go very intently watching that timberwolves game <laughs> which was absurd oh my god i don't even no we can't talk about that but we we're not doing that i've done that i've done too much of that this week um I've been. I I think I have been. So the last time the wolves spun, I think that's how I got. Yeah. A, I got a call to. Uh, I know it's been a while. Show. Yeah. Well, I think we are going to be talking about these two teams uh, in conjunction uh, a lot more this season, and probably for the the next few seasons to come. And uh, I love it. I I, I love uh, I love following the Thunder, and I love uh, the way in which uh, you guys cover that. So I very much. I uh, do recommend uh, Down to Dunk in particular for those of you listening. Um, if you want to, I'm sure on Wednesday, you guys, next Wednesday after that Thunder game, we'll be we'll be talking about this Wolves-Thunder matchup. So in addition yeah. to what we're talking about here with that game, it is always good to get kind of the the other side of the, the, the coin there too. So check out Down to Dunk uh, and you can follow Al uh, on Twitter at AlBabyCakes. Appreciate you doing it, man. Thanks so much, Dane. All right. Uh, I don't know exactly when I'm dropping this, so I think I think uh, next thing up will be after uh, the Thunder game. I think that will be Britt and I. Uh, until then, he's Al. I'm Dane. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stops, yeah. Green and hot so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let Santa 